Early Read, Episode 9, our Big 12 betting preview with Thor Nystrom from Betting Pros and Fantasy Pros. Bit of a different episode than we've done in the past. We bring on Thor for about a half hour, talk some big picture Big 12, some big picture betting theories going into the season, and then I go through my notes on each team. Solo pod, so we'll see how that goes because that's how our best bets show is going to be format. So I would appreciate the feedback there. But until then, make sure you're liking, subscribing, and all that in between. It's the Early Read Episode 9, Big 12 Betting Preview. are back. It's the early read Big 12 season preview. I'm joined today by Thor Nystrom at Thor KU. The KU we're going to get to in a little bit, but at Thor KU on Twitter. He works over at Betting Pros and Fantasy Pros. He's an NFL draft content specialist as well as a college football analyst. Thor crushes it. I appreciate him taking some time out of his day. Thor, how's it going? It's going great, man. Uh, good to be here. We're we're almost in August, which means we're almost to football. So excited to be here. Excited to talk about some Big 12 football with you today. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. And before we get into the Big 12, though, a conference that is obviously right this second as we're recording uh, here on July 28th, we're right at the cusp of Colorado set to rejoin the Big 12 now. So there's a ton of realignment there, but getting ready for just this season. few teams coming in. We have independent BYU. UCF, Houston, Cincinnati joining, of course, Oklahoma and Texas. This is their last year in the Big 12. So this is a conference in the middle of this realignment, reshaping of college football. I will say, though, before we get into the Big 12, we're going to talk Texas and Oklahoma and all that. I want to ask you, Thor, because I know you you generate point spreads for every game. You're in the weeds on every single game every weekend. The new clock. There's going to be a running clock now outside the last year. It's going to be more of an NFL-style game now. Have you, are you predicting any sort of tang- tangible change in the way teams operate, in the way the game flow goes, especially with over-unders? I have my own thoughts, but I'm curious, Thor, how are you going into this season looking at total specifically? Yeah, I, I think the uh, the math run on it that I seen was there, it's a projected six to seven plays lost per game. I, you know, I mean, I, I think it can be a little different depending on the constitution of the offense you're talking about. But, you know, that would just be sort of the, the regular ballpark. And then when you're projecting the points lost, you're, it's just how many plays is that particular offense run per game? And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, like the, the the points per play and then, the you know, when you extrapolate that against the defense, you know, and, and yada, yada. Yeah, you're going to lose some points. I mean, when you take six offensive plays off the board every single game or seven or whatever it is. So you have to bake that in for sure. Um, and like I haven't bet totals as far as like, you know, a single game. I'm betting a lot of win totals, uh, but, I, you know, I haven't done that yet. But, yeah, we are adding that to our total system at the beginning of the season. And, and we'll get more data on that to see how close sort of the supposition is against what you're baking into your system early on. I will say, uh, I don't know how, how, you know, like some of these other markets that you're into prize picks dropped their uh, season long prop lines a couple days ago. Uh, they set them too high. Uh, there is a number of numbers out there that were just obviously too high. 
and the numbers they put out, it's over the 12 game regular season. Uh, you know, it's, it doesn't count the conference championships and the bulls and whatnot, but there was a number of lines that I felt were mistakes. And so me and some of my buddies were going nuts. Um, and some of them, I, I think they just got it wrong as far as their assumption of what the guy's role would be. Some of it had to do with transfers or different stuff like that. But some of it also, I, I, you know, it's it's that thing of not baking in that every guy is going to have six less offensive plays per game over the entire season. You know, some, some of that stuff as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I will say just looking at the market right now where we're at and as we're recording, Circa just dropped their odds and this pod won't be published for a few days after this we record but I find myself just going through some of the totals they seem a little over reactionary to the play drop like there's going to be a change but I feel like we don't know how much the change will actually be and I feel like some of the odds are kind of shifting too far now too short you know I still feel like these offenses are still going to score especially the tempo ones are still going to play with tempo. There's just, you're losing six plays. And how does it really factor into that? Like you said, it is a bit of a moving target, I think early on, but I do envision myself early in the season, maybe leaving myself open to being wrong, but I have a feeling I'm going to be playing a lot more overs than unders because I think that people might be overestimating the impact. You know, I just six, seven plays, there's going to be an impact. I just feel like it might not be as much as, these odds are sort of indicating it's an interesting thing though. And I think there's going to be a lot of numbers coming out as we see week one, week zero, week one going through, and then people are going to start to adjust their numbers, but let's talk big 12. Cause that's why I had you here. I know you, you project all the spread. So I want to get your opinion on the changing clock, the big 12 though. Very interesting this year. The past two years has been a fairly shocking big 12 championship. The past two years, uh, of course, Baylor beats Oklahoma State two years ago. Last year, Kansas State and TCU come out from relatively nowhere to win the or be in the Big 12 championship game. Kansas State wins in the title game. This year, though, it's clear who the favorite's going to be. Maybe you have your own opinion, Thor, but how do you envision Texas going into the year? I agree that they should be the favorite on paper, but will that translate? We've seen this story before with Texas. How do you envision it going for the Longhorns here? They enter, I mean, I think by close, it's going to be, you know, Odds on favorite to win the Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean, obviously they they have the the you know recent history with every single year they they go under and they disappoint you and you say Texas is back and it's like saying Candyman into the mirror three times or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but this team, you just you you compare their roster to the other Big Twelve ones, it's not even close, right? Like my numbers, I have Texas, I have them number four overall. The next highest uh, Big 12 team I have in my power rankings is number 18. Next one is 23. Next one's 25. There is an enormous qualitative gap between Texas and the rest of this conference. Uh, behind them, it, it's wide open, I think. So, like, the other team that's going to be in that title game, you can throw a dart because there's a whole bunch of teams grouped there between, you know, 18 and 41, 45, like – a whole big handful of teams. But as far as Texas goes, it would take, I think, uh, catastrophic injury luck to get them out of there. Um, I, I don't even think coaching incompetence can get them out of there. They're just too talented in comparison to the rest of the teams in the conference. So, it, like, my my system as it uh, projects 10.5 wins for the Longhorns, 8.1 conference wins. The next highest team in terms of projected conference wins, Oklahoma, 6.9. 
mm-hmm. with my system. And then after that, Texas Tech 5.7. There's only one other team that I have over projected five wins in the conference. So, I mean, for me, it's it's the rest of the conference playing for that second berth into the Big 12 title game. And then you hope you can ambush Texas there. Maybe they've had some bad injury luck leading up to that game. But as far as Texas's like birth into it, to me, that is more or less assumed at this point. And maybe that's maybe those words will come back to bite me based on their recent history. But this Texas team is real good. And the rest of this conference really is not. I, I agree. On paper, it's it's there's a clear gap, like you just indicated. I will say though, in terms of betting futures and stuff, and I'm I'm going into the season knowing that Texas is this pretty much juggernaut going into the year. I still find myself not pulling the trigger on futures with them because of some of the Quinn Ewers questions. And also the schedule isn't as easy as you'd like to be. I will say, if you want to bet Texas before the season, I would rather play them to win the conference than their win total because they are going to be underdogs at Alabama. Whatever you think about Alabama, maybe, but I think that's, a cheaper way to play it is avoid that Alabama game when you're talking about like their season price. But the schedule is a little tricky. You go to Baylor, you go to TCU. Of course, you have Oklahoma on a neutral field. Kansas State and Texas Tech come to Austin. So while I think they should, I do think maybe there's some bad variance that goes their way. And they I could see them playing out of it. I do agree with you, though, with your second point, though. Teams are going to be gunning for that second title spot. And maybe you get Texas there. But I agree with you. I think Texas should be in the conference style game. You're talking about second team, though. Do you think Oklahoma, who has a very easy schedule, and I think that's what's really lifting them up across the rest of the conference, do you think that there will be a shocking team, or do you think Oklahoma feasts on a relatively easy schedule for Big 12 standards and it's a Red River shootout second, part two, uh, in the Big 12 championship game? Yeah, by by my system, ranking out the the teams behind there by conference wins, it would be Oklahoma, then Texas Tech, then Baylor, then TCU, then Kansas State, and then Oklahoma State after them. I I think if you're looking for a long shot that could surprise people, for me, it's it's Oklahoma State. Okay. Yeah, for me, they would be my long shot dart dart throw in this conference. But yeah, like if if you know, just as far as like the you know, if I had to only pick two, I would go chalk and go Texas and Oklahoma. Um, and I do like this Texas Tech team as well, so it wouldn't surprise me at all if they get there. They're just weird though because Shuck can never stay healthy, and we also honestly don't know how good Shuck actually is because like in his career, he's always been healthy at the beginning of his team's respective schedule. And he's ripped up a procession of just awful teams. So that's why I always sort of chuckle when someone will bring up like, oh, Tyler Shuck is a starter. His career record's 14 and two. It's like, yeah, how many FCS teams were played Mm. and G5 teams were played during that? He always gets injured like at the end of September. He never has to play any of the conference teams. He's very talented, of course. I mean, that's why, you know, he was he originally he was the heir apparent to Justin Herbert and different stuff like that. And um, obviously, Texas Tech badly wanted him when he transferred. But He's Mr. Glass. He needs to stay healthy. They do have a super talented backup kid. I didn't think it was going to stick around if Shuck did and Baron Morton. Uh, like, I mean, he's got a big league arm, probably yeah. even has a better arm than Shuck. So they are protected just a little bit. 
but that introduces some variance in into the Texas Tech equation. Um, and, and obviously they, they have to, uh, uh, with Tyree Wilson leaving, they also need to figure out how to keep their pass rushes good. Tech was also really situationally good in red zone defense last year, randomly, even though the rest of the defense stunk. And so you have to figure out how to rejigger that pass rush without Wilson and stay situationally good on defense while improving the rest of the defense, which wasn't good between the twenties. So like if, if they can do those things, like then, yeah, I, I do think they're going to be a contender to be in that championship game. Yeah. I think Texas tech, I I'm a bit more bearish more because of this was a team that went for it more than any other team in the country last year. And maybe some of that variance, like you said, the red zone defense, maybe some of those things come back to bite you and you end up losing a game that you won last year. Like think the Texas game or the Houston game that maybe you lose this year. And that kind of hurts their chances of making a run. I want to go back to Oklahoma though, because this was a team that fell way short of expectations last year. They battled injuries, new head coach with Venables. The offense still ended up putting up some decent numbers. The defense got in the backfield a lot, but down to down wasn't that great. Oklahoma, is this a blip or is this kind of a downward trend where maybe this goes on for two, three years and Venables ends up kind of flaming out here? I mean, I think outside a wide receiver, the offense – should be I, I like Dylan Gabriel, but there are questions. Defense, I think, should be rock solid. But the schedule really gives them a runway to get back to the Big 12 championship door. Are you betting on a bounce back or expecting a bounce back? Or, again, is it that downward trend? I am expecting a bounce back, yes. Um, although I will say if the same like stink from last year's team lingers into this year, I think Venable should be fired in late October, early November. If If with the amount of talent they have – they're against the schedule they're playing if they can't win at least eight games and really they should win nine or ten against they'll the schedule fa- they're gonna be favored roster. in they'll be favored in every game but the texas game just flat out they yeah they'll be favored so there's really no excuse record wise exactly yeah i'm so yeah if, if you can't figure that out with that roster against that schedule uh i he's got to be fired i you know usually i, I don't ab- advocate for that with a guy in year two but obviously, you know, Oklahoma, it's a little bit of a, a different situation there. This is his first head coaching job. You give him, I, I don't want to say a mulligan on year one, but you're going to let him have the year two. But th- yeah, this year he has to get that thing up and running. He was very aggressive in the transfer portal, um, brought in some defensive starters and different stuff like that. He has to turn around that defense. That's priority number one. They finished 121st in the nation last year on defense. It was just a travesty. And of course, Venable has made his his bones or you know cut his teeth with with defense his entire career. So you know between the the adding all those guys through the portal and having a year to work with them, you know I think that the thought is that that defense is is going to get better. Certainly can't be worse. But yeah, you you get that thing a little bit better. Hopefully you get a full season of Dylan Gabriel healthy. The, their offense was actually good last year when Gabriel was healthy. The two games where he didn't play, they were unwatchable. They yeah. couldn't move, move the ball whatsoever. And then the other thing they, they need to find is you, you got to find your running back. You know, obviously Eric Gray's gone, you know, which of the guys are going to step forward with that thing. And then finding the wide receiver one, like, is that going to be for Oak? They it's got to, they got to find one guy for that. They got to, this is sort of like Baylor um, where they, they have a bunch of like solid guys, but there's got to be one guy that steps forward is like that wide receiver one. Um, we need to see that with Oklahoma too, but, um, if they can answer those questions again, against this schedule, they should jump way, way up. 
I agree. And that's what makes kind of betting the Big 12 a little tricky with Texas, obviously, who's the overwhelming on paper favorite. And then a team like Oklahoma, who on paper should be, you know, right there with Texas, at least from like just power rating uh, strength of their roster. And they get an easy schedule. So it kind of makes it a little tough to bust in. TCU and Kansas State, the two teams that made it last year to the Big 12 championship game. TCU obviously has the dream season. I still think that this team is pretty good. They have a very difficult schedule. Kansas State, to me, I think if we're talking get back to the Big 12 championship game, I think Kansas State might have the inside track over a TCU. Thor, between those two championship game participants, do you see a big difference this year? There are obviously some new faces, but I think both teams should still be pretty good. Kansas State win total, depending where you look, around eight, TCU closer to seven and a half. How do you shake out these two teams? Yeah, as far as getting to the Big 12 title game, I would have TCU marginally ahead of uh, Kansas State. Pretty close, but I, I have uh, TCU with uh, 4.92 projected Big 12 wins, Kansas State with 4.79. Some of that is is scheduling stuff. They're fairly close in my my power ratings. They're only separated by a point and a half in, in terms of that. Uh, TCU, we'll have to see with them, right? Like they, they lost so many different guys, Duggan, Kendry Miller, Quentin Johnson, Tay Barber, Darius Davis, Steve Avila, Dylan Horton, D winner, Trey Tomlinson. Like they caught lightning in a bottle last year, but that might've been a little bit overstated because that the year before, like it, it's hard to even get into what happened with Patterson, with the wheels just falling off. Like that was just a weird year. They had a bunch of talent. And it was Dykes was able to address the the two core issues with the team the year before, which is they couldn't pass the ball. And then the defense just stopped trying. And so they, they were able to fix both those things. But now, now all these guys leave, you know, for the NFL and whatnot. And Dykes, they did do a really good job in the portal. I felt like they did everything they could. And Dykes had talked a lot last season about like how you put all these guys in positions, like sort of like an NFL front office of like, scouting you know the portal and they used analytics to do it too to identify some like under the radar guys and stuff like that and now because they jumped up a little bit they were able to get some higher profile guys they got a couple guys from alabama former ballyhood recruits that are projected starters um a receiver from oklahoma state that's going to start right away etc etc but um some of that it's going to have to coalesce because you have so many uh new faces there um they only have 10 guys coming back i think that have starting experience but they do have a lot of talent there still. It's just, like I said, a lot of new faces and whatnot. So we're going to have to see with them. Uh, Kansas State has more familiar faces in part because Adrian Martinez got hurt last year. So we got to see more of Will Howard. And, of course, Treshawn Ward. We got to see plenty of him in Florida State, platooning with Trey Benson, stuff like that. I like Ward uh, quite a bit, actually. He ain't better than Trey Benson, but there's – Which is maybe, okay, by the way. It's fine to not be as good as Trey Benson. Maybe like four Ward or five names. Six yards a carry. <laughs> yeah, you could say are better than Trey Benson. So I don't blame Ward at all for leaving. And this is a pretty good spot for him because he's going to get a lot of carries. Um, he's going to seed some of them to that DJ Giddens kid because that kid's good too. But, like, they have a really good one-two punch there. Um, so, like, I, I can see that stuff. But, like, with Kansas State, even though I think they're going to be super frisky in offense, you have to project their defense is going to fall off to some degree like I, I don't know to what degree but you can't lose Felix I, I've never been able to say his name so I'm not even going to try but that the dominant edge rusher they had and Julius Brents you can't lose guys like that on on a, a you know a team that historically doesn't recruit the best and then get better on defense so they will fall off on defense to some degree 
and their offense is going to have to be by degrees better to make up for that to even qualitatively stay the same. But then you just lost your, your all world running back that has been your offense for several years, et cetera. And now you have some of these new faces. So that's why for me, they were just a little bit behind some of these other teams, but I will say for them, they have one of the sickest offensive lines in the conference return. Everybody. I mean, they they have a, a, you know, a kid that could go late first round early uh, round two, one of the guards there. Um, so like they do have a nasty offensive line. You love to see that. Um, it's, it's one of the sort of things that bakes in a high floor and sort of inoculates you from having like a horrible offensive performance and different stuff like that. But I, I have uh, Kansas state with 7.2 projected wins. I think I had uh TCU was 7.7 overall is what my system has on them. Worth noting Kansas state hosts TCU, but Kansas state kind of a treacherous lead up to that game going at Oklahoma state at Texas tech before that. So not a, the easiest kind of stretch there, but at least they get TCU at home. If you're comparing those two, four new teams, like I mentioned before, one independent BYU three from the AAC in UCF, Houston, Cincinnati, Thor, it could be good or bad spotlight. One of the teams, is there anything you're looking forward to? Again, it could be, you see really high upside here, for someone, or it could be you think that this team is in for a brutal, brutal season. Any of the newcomers, anything worth mentioning before we get into maybe some betting talk? Well, for I think the only one that's going to make a bowl this coming season is UCF. I, I got UCF with seven wins. Um, the other ones I, I think could struggle a bit. BYU's roster is down, and now they're playing a much, much harder schedule. And their starting lineup is comprised of a whole bunch of transfers, you know, in part because they have guys leave for the NFL. They also had transfers out because they basically fired their entire defensive staff, pushed out their strength coach. So a bunch of kids transferred out. And so then they had to go and, and do a bunch of transfer stuff. I don't think qualitatively their their roster is as good and continuity certainly isn't there. And like I said, you're jumping way up in, in schedule strength as well. Houston, I actually think is right around qualitatively as good as they were last year, but they jump way up in schedule strength. I think they're going to be down as well. Those teams could go, you know, between four and eight, five and seven, something like that. And Cincinnati, I think, is going to be somewhere around there, too. Uh, I I didn't like what Satterfield did in the offseason. I I, I don't like that roster at all. I I actually have Cincinnati as the lowest rated uh, Big 12 team. I I think that's probably not the consensus take. I I think other people have other teams there, but I, I don't like the Cincinnati team at all. I do think UCF is in a good position to start fairly quickly where they can make a ball. They certainly have the athleticism for it. Um, they have a lot of power five transfers on that team. And the holdovers are a lot of guys that turn down the power five to sign with UCF coming out. So they certainly have that. Gus Malzahn, obviously uh, coached from the power five beforehand. So this was all, already sort of a quasi power five program. Now you're going there. They have sort of that unique offense with, with the tempo, with the motion, you know, they, they get you with the eye candy one way. Now we're going quick the other way with numbers. I, I think that could be difficult for some of these big 12 teams that offend where now, now you have the, these ones, they, they are start, starting to fan out the defenses a little bit more, but it's more to defend the spread passing. And mm-hmm. I think this, this element of the, the ground attack with it could uh, uh, frustrate some of those defenses. So I think UCF could have some success coming in and who knows, they could be a dark horse contender to steal, that spot opposite Texas in the Big 12 championship. We should probably toss them into that too. Yeah. I uh I, I threw a dart on UCF to win the Big 12. I, I mean I got 40, I see 35. I, I think UCF 
there could be some, like you mentioned a lot and with the offensive upside and Gus Malzahn coming in. And again, these are, it's a power five kind of, it was a P five transfer down G five hotbed. Now they're moving up. So the talent is on hand. It's if like John Reese Plumley could put this together, stay healthy and things could connect the schedule. Not crazy hard. It's not, it's also not a walk in the park. They're going to need to win some road games, but I could see UCF with like that high ceiling. So Thor, let's, this is maybe we could turn this into a win total thing, but one team that will overachieve in 2023, one team that will underachieve in 2023. And if you want to make this into a win total bet that you made, uh, how do you see the big 12? It could be a team we already spoke about or a team you kind of want to bring up that we haven't done yet. The overachieve, I'm definitely going to go with Oklahoma State. I think Oklahoma State's going to be better than people think, um, in part because the schedule opens up really easy for them. Mm-hmm. They they have one of the breeziest Power 5 schedules. You could see they avoid most of the big boys in the Big 12. It was like Gundy like paid someone off at the <laughs> league office, and they get all the bottom teams there. And then their their OOC is pretty manageable as well. Um, let, let me let me pull it up real quick. They, they have Arizona State in it. Um, but outside, and, and I have them, I have Oklahoma state as 3.6 point favorites in that one, but outside of that, you have an FCS team and then you have South Alabama coming to Stillwater. I have them as an, uh, eight and a half point favorite OSU in that one. Um, uh, and then, like I said, they have one of the easiest big 12 draws, um, that yeah. you could possibly get. So I, I like, uh, Oklahoma state is sort of a post hype sleeper, uh, kind of a team to do better than people think. Uh, and then a, a team that's going to do worse, um then expectation trying to think um i mean maybe maybe byu would qualify for that uh i'm i i mentioned this before but i'm way lower on cincinnati i think than a lot of people oh um maybe my one would be though uh west virginia um i think i don't believe that neil brown makes it out of this season they gave him uh, an ill-fated contract extension a couple years ago for no reason. I, I hate when colleges do this, when they're bidding against themselves to extend on a coach that nobody else is going after. And there's just no reason to do it. You put yourself or the, you know, the guy that comes after you in, in that decision-making job in a really bad spot. If things don't, you know, either turn around or they, they keep going good. Tom Allen is another example of this at Indiana where they gave him an extension after DeBoer, you know, like DeBoer and Penix were the reason that Indiana did really good that COVID mm-hmm. season. And then all of a sudden, Allen has this extension that you can't get rid of. Um, at, at West Virginia, they would have been able to fire Brown after last year, which is what they should have, you know, in any other situation mm-hmm. they would have done. They couldn't do it because of this extension, but they're just sort of spinning their wheels there now. My my projected win total on West Virginia is 4.2 against the Vegas total of 5.5. I, I think it's going to be a really tough start to the season for them. And I think once you get into early October, certainly mid-October, I think the fan base is going to be calling for that guy's head. And I don't know if he makes it into November. Like, I, you know, and so I, yeah. I, I think they're going to fly under that number. Yeah, and I they open at Penn State, so that will probably get them off to a, a – Get annihilated. Yeah, and then also you host Pitt. That should be a pretty good team in non-con. And then Texas Tech at home and at TCU – they hosted Kane in there, but it, it could be a one and four start for sure. And Thor, yeah. before we get you out of there, we're out of here. Kansas, we following it up this year? It, it, another bowl for the Jayhawks, or are we going to come back to earth? I, I, I do think they're getting back to bowl season, yeah. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot of people earlier uh, in the, the summer were fading Kansas, and 
that was when the the numbers at a couple of the bucks was six and a half on their win total. So I could more understand that. Now it sort of swung the other way because some of these whale guys and, and consortiums were, were, you know, had put so much onto the under whatnot. You can actually find the Kansas number of five and a half at books now. And then there, there's somewhere at six uh, for me at the five and a half number, you go over that. And then the six, you know, you, you can, you can stay away or you might even play over because you get a free, uh, uh, you get your money back if, if they end up going to six. I think they're making a bowl for sure. You have the you have a team last year, of course, that that made the bowl uh, game, you know, under Leopold, probably a year before anyone thought it would even would be possible. Now you have the most experienced returning roster in the entire nation by Phil Steele's numbers. And you think about last year's team that made the bowl game. That team played for one month without Jalen Daniels, their star quarterback. Mm -hmm. It played for three weeks without Kobe Bryant, their CB1, Little Mamba, as I call him. They played <laughs> uh, the last two months of the season without their valued platoon back, D Daniel Hyshaw. A lot of people don't talk about him because Devin Neal is the guy that gets most of the touches. But Hyshaw is one of the better pass-blocking running backs in the entire nation. Devin Neal's not as good at, at, at that kind of stuff. Um, and, and Hyshaw is their short area grinder guy. So they really missed him when he was gone. You get all those guys back healthy. Plus they did a decent job in the portal. And then you, again, you have a metric ton of, of talent that is an experience that's returning. And then you have the thing of Lance Leopold. He has never had a team regress. Like at both of his previous stops, it was like he, you know, every single year was better, 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 better. So it would go against Lance Leopold his entire career for now Kansas to take a step back, it would also seem to be a statistical anomaly for the most experienced roster in the nation to also take a step back, especially if they just so happen to get like average injury luck last year when last year the injury monster was against them. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, the, the one thing, you know, all that said, the thing going against them this year is they do play a tough schedule. They got the opposite of the Oklahoma state draw that Gundy got where, they have to play some of these uh, better teams, the, the higher up ones. They avoid some of the, the teams lower down. So in terms of schedule strength, they got a tough draw for sure. And that's a part of the reason why my system had, I think it's 5.8 or 5.9 wins on Kansas. But I feel pretty strong. Yeah, 5.9. I, I feel pretty strong, though, that they're going to go 6-6 six and six or 7-5. and five. Uh, Leopold is just a really good coach and he, he tends to win a lot of those coin flip games, mm -hmm. you know, that are four points or less either way. So I, I like Kansas get, to get back to a bowl game for sure. Yeah. That week two game against Illinois feels like big a real fork in the road for two really, really overachieving teams last year. It feels like that one is both those teams are going to really, really want that one, especially come the end of the year. And it's great timing for Kansas, right? Because Illinois, they were led by that one of the better secondaries we've seen in college football the last decade where they had, what, the three guys that got drafted was the first couple of rounds, whatever. And, and their second three, game on the field. Three day, three guys got drafted in the first two days. And, of course, where there's at five. Yeah, and, and Kansas, their entire offensive scheme, it's based on putting defenders into conflict. They do all that pre-snap motion, so you sort of have to tip off your hand the defense does about whether you're in man or zone and whatnot. Then they see Daniel sees where the numbers are. And now we sort of have an idea of, of at least directionally where the ball and the play is going before it starts. And now we're going to have numbers against you and we're going to put you in a conflict in space. That's how they create these explosive plays. What a test for that new look, Illinois secondary with all these new guys. 
Kansas actually has a really good receiving core, and I just don't think people realize it. Like, just look at the PFF grades of those guys from last year. They they all fly under the radar, but I think like the the bulk, like probably all three guys that were on the field last year are at least going to get long looks from the NFL UDFA contracts at the very least. So that's going to be really interesting to see if Illinois' new look secondary is able to, you know, hold serve in that game at least. There we go. Talking some week two. Thor, appreciate you taking the time. You can follow him on Twitter at ThorKU. You can see all of his work on betting pros and fantasy pros. He does great college football work and NFL draft work for when the college football season ends. Thor, appreciate the time, man. Enjoy the rest of the summer. We're very, very close to these games actually happening. I'll talk to you soon, man. We're getting there. Appreciate you, brother. Appreciate Thor taking the time. Second half of the pod, going to follow the preview pods prior to this, looking at each team, going through the schedule, my notes on each team, but I'm going to do it solo today, so we'll see how this type of format goes. Going to try and do this for the best bet show as well, so we'll see, kind of get some reps in here. But let's start. Baylor, win total seven, shaded towards the over, 16-1 to to win the Big 12. And I think Baylor, this is an intriguing team. My win total comes at just around this, but I could see some optimism for the Bears, especially in the Big 12. But let's go through the team. Blake Shapin, I think there's a fair amount of concern about his long-term ceiling here for the Bears, but he actually led a pretty damn good offense here. I mean, they were top 30 in line yards, 25th in success rate. They didn't really push the ball downfield, and the team went as Shapin went, but he did anchor an above-average unit Team lost four straight after winning the Big 12 championship, so maybe it was just some poor variance after a dream year. They do bring back Reese, who rushed for nearly 1,000 yards, who's a freshman All-American. Dominic Richardson is also in from Oklahoma State. The team does lose a handful on the offensive line, but they crushed in the portal, getting two of the best from the portal in the Barrington brothers from BYU, Clark and Campbell Barrington. Um, they hired Mateos, who was the O-line coach at BYU, so they had the inside track there. Campbell, nine games, a freshman All-American. Clark started 40 games as a left guard and was an All-American in 2021. This offensive line is going to be better, and again, they were elite last year, top 30 in line yards. I think the offense should take a step forward. The defense is where this team really fell off, especially for a Dave Aranda defense. I mean, they are bottom half of the country in success rate. They couldn't get off the field on third downs. Bottom 15 in the country in third down conversion rate allowed. No pass rush whatsoever. So we'll see bringing back in Pallage from Oregon. We'll see if that can maybe jumpstart this Aranda defense. I think, you know, there were quotes at Big 12 Media Day that they had to get more physical in the defensive line. Only one starter's back in the secondary, though. So there are some questions here. They love 28 or more in six games. So Baylor's going to need to take a step forward on defense if they want to get better. I do think win total of seven is pretty fair. I kind of lean towards the over if I had to play it. The schedule features home games against Utah in week two. We don't know if Cam Rising is going to be ready for that game, and they're also coming off of a Florida game and traveling Utah. They host Texas in week four. They host Texas Tech in week six. They go to UCF, Cincinnati, Kansas State, and TCU. They're going to be favored in that Cincinnati game off of a bye, but UCF, Kansas State, and TCU, they could definitely lose all three. But I think that there's some upside here. Maybe they're able to pull out a Texas upset at home. Playing in Waco is a pretty difficult place. Not sh- If this team made a Big 12 run and kind of played spoiler like Thor and I were discussing, 
I wouldn't be that surprised. They only play four road games all year. They kind of won the Big 12 lottery there. So maybe it's taking a long shot flyer at like 16 to 1 on Baylor. I think Shapin potentially has another level to get to. I didn't play anything, but I think if this defense takes a natural step forward again under Dave Aranda, this team could be back in the hunt for a Big 12 title game. Next up, BYU, win total five and a half, about plus 105 to the over, minus 125 to the under, 100 to one to win the Big 12. Out is Jaron Hall, who I really liked last year before he kind of got some nicks and bruises throughout the year, and Anis Keaton Slovis, who I think is absolutely god-awful. He's on his third team. He was negative 0.6 EPA per play last year. The guy just isn't very good. Um, so I'm <laughs> if you can't tell I'm negative on this team, they lose two of their best receivers in Parker Nakua and Gunnar Romney. Running back, they got Aiden Robbins from UNLV in Louisville. He had surgery on his wrist and missed spring ball. If it's not him and he's not ready at the beginning of the year, it will be Miles Davis, who was banged up last year but played a little bit. We'll we'll see. Wide receiver, pretty unproven. Roberts was one who stepped up last year, and I really liked him. Um, but this passing game is probably going to take a significant step back without a big NFL quarterback arm like Jaron Hall. And I mean high-level receivers for the college level. The defense, uh, we kind of alluded to this with Thor, but they fire pretty much everyone. A lot of guys transfer out. They bring in Jay Hill from Weber State, who really ran one of the more aggressive defenses in the FCS level. Brings with him some FCS guys like an All-American, Eddie Heckard, Boise transfers, Zay Banga, Jackson Cavins, all, Cravens also comes in. I mean, This team was so banged up on the defensive line. The Beefed up schedule really killed them down the stretch and kind of cost them really a few wins and kind of being a competitive, maybe a New Year's Six type team, especially with their start. Schedule is too difficult. 26 players started different started a game on the defense. Maybe that equals out. I'm not really buying, especially in year one in a new scheme in Jay Hill. And also, again, their offense to me is going to be pretty you know poor for Big 12 standards. The schedule maybe it is a little tricky going up to Provo for these big 12 teams. They host Sam Houston in the opener and they get Southern Utah. So there's two likely wins there. They host Cincinnati. So give them three. They host Iowa state. Sure. Give them four. That game will pro both the Cincinnati and Iowa state games will be closely on spreads, but I'll give them both because the road games include at Arkansas, at Kansas, at TCU, at Texas, at West Virginia, at Oklahoma state. If you want to give them at West Virginia, there's five right there, but then you're asking them to win at Arkansas, at Kansas, at TCU, home Texas Tech, at Texas, home Oklahoma, and at Oklahoma State. I just struggle to see it with a team that's jumping to a higher conference, has to deal with a lot of travel themselves. I, I think that this is going to be a pretty brutal year. I played their under win total at five and a half. I, I, I do not like what BYU is going to be dealing with, especially, again, Slovis to me. Can't stay healthy. He struggled everywhere he's been, basically, unless he was in Graham Harrell's USC air raid offense. And if he gets hurt, there's no there's no experience behind him. Jake Retzlaff is the backup quarterback as of now. He's a redshirt junior with zero experience. So BYU, I think, is in for a tough year. Next up, Cincinnati. This win total has definitely taken some action towards the under. It's about minus 155 to the under, 70 to 1 to win the conference. It's all new coaches with Scott Satterfield taking over from Louisville. 
He brings in Emory Jones, another quarterback on his third team. He's also got awful. He was banged up last year, ended up losing the job to Borgett at Arizona State. Took 20 sacks and about half a season's worth of action. They're one of the lowest returning productions on the offense side of the ball. 34% returning production per ESPN. So you're really, you're losing a lot here. Kiner and Montgomery were both decent at running back. Kiner had four rushing touchdowns. Montgomery was kind of their burner, big playback. So maybe they get something going in the running game. We saw at Louisville with a mobile quarterback like Malik Cunningham. Maybe that unlocks Emory Jones a little bit, but he's such a poor passer and is so far less dynamic than Malik Cunningham that I just, I think Satterfield is going to take the year one approach. Mulligan, let's reset. They got a veteran quarterback in the portal who gives them the base level foundation of a quarterback, but I just, I don't see, especially one starter back on the offensive line at center, a lot of G five transfers and FCS transfers coming up the pipeline to try and make this work. I just, I I really don't see this offense. I think it's going to take a significant step back. The defense. If I were to say one's going to be better than the other, I'd probably lean towards the defense Corleone was a stud freshman. He was actually rated by PFF as the best D tackle in the entire country. Vanna and Briggs combined for 19 sacks on the defensive line. So they should be able to get home pretty well here. A few power five transfers coming in from the likes of Florida and Arizona state, but both uh, starting cornerbacks depart. Uh, but I do like the hire bringing Satterfield brought Brian Brown, the Louisville DC with him. And again, that was one of the best defensive lines in the entire country last year. So I think they're going to be aggressive, try and get in the backfield, try and make some havoc plays. And if they get beat over the top, so be it. I mean, you're not that good of a team anyway. You got to try and win where you can. I personally think that this is going to be an under team. I'm going to be looking to bet unders early and often with Cincinnati. I just, I don't really see it for this team. Win total at five and a half. I definitely lean towards the under. I would have liked it where it was at like minus 110. It's definitely been beat a little bit. Non-con, host Eastern Kentucky and Miami, Ohio. But you do go to Pitt. You're going to be a pretty conservative underdog there. They host Oklahoma. And the following week, they go to BYU. That's going to be a tricky spot. Off the bye, you host Iowa State and Baylor. And you're going to be underdogs against Baylor. But Iowa State's a coin flip game. And then at Oklahoma State, UCF. And then you're at Houston and West Virginia before you are home against Kansas. So, you do avoid some of the heavy hitters in the Big 12 where you're talking Texas, Kansas State, TCU. But at the same time, this is a group of five team who is really tearing down the roster. I just think you see a significant setback, and I don't see them holding up against even the Oklahoma States, the Iowa States, and even at West Virginia. Maybe they're on a new coach by them. But I just think since I have, there's going to be some growing pains here under Scott Satterfield, who I don't even hold in that high of regard to begin with. Next up, Houston, four and a half is the win total. Shade towards the over, minus 140, plus 120 to the under, 120 to one to win the conference. Another AAC team stepping up in class. Daner Holgerson, the comments weren't great at the end of last year. They're not that great in the preseason. They are replacing two of their most, easily their most impactful guys on offense, and Clay Toon and Tank Dell, as well, the offensive coordinator, Shane Dawson. He's off to Miami. So complete do over here. Coley's still there at quarterback, but I imagine it'll be Donovan Smith who transferred from Texas tech, big guy, dual threat was able to make plays with his legs often. I mean, he got plenty of time last year. I wouldn't say he's high level or anything, but he he's standard and he has experience in, 
you know, the big 12 system overall though, was negative 0.03 EPA per play. Completely about 63% of his passes was able to run the ball a little bit. Again, like I said, take some sacks, but ultimately, you know, you're going to get base level quarterback play here. They got Tony Mathis, a running back from West Virginia in the transfer portal, but losing Tank Dell is really going to hurt. Dana's trying to make it up in the portal. They got Johnson from Oklahoma State. Cobbs from Wyoming is one I think you should be keeping an eye on. And some high-level freshman recruits like Harrison Pilot and Wilson. The offensive line should be better, in my opinion. Three monsters back on the offensive line, like Paul, who's probably likely going to be a pro either late first round, definitely day two. And Jack Freeman's a senior center. It just Dana's quotes. He said he's trying everything to get this team up to speed. And it just seems like Dana knows that the clock is ticking here and he might be drawing dead. The offense was good last year, though. The defense was the real issue when you look at this team. And maybe they take a step forward and there's some natural progression. But I, I just think that this team is going to be likely trying to be playing shootouts. I mean, allowed nearly six yards per play. We're outside the top 100, nearly three points per drive outside the top 100. They got to the backfield a lot. This was an aggressive defense, top 10 in tackles for loss, but ultimately 70th in defense and success rate. That's not going to cut it in the big 12. So the secondary, a lot of questions here. And it was terrible last year. Last year, they allowed 27 or more in all but three games last season, including the bowl game. They lose their top five tacklers and their top two pass rushers. So Dana's trying to patch us together in the portal. I just, I think the team could likely flirt with five wins. I'm not looking to play and over laying a number either, though. I think that this is going to take some time. Um, and maybe Dana ends up being fired by middle of the season. It's just, it's tough to get too jacked up. If it was like plus money at four and a half, I'd be a little bit more interesting. But you look at the schedule, you open home against UTSA. They played a crazy game last year. We'll see if Houston could get up to speed against a veteran UTSA team at Rice. And then you're right into conference play against TCU at home. They do host Sam Houston. The road games are looking at being massive underdogs in every single one of them, though. At Texas Tech, at Kansas State, at Baylor, at UCF, you're likely going to lose all of those. It's can you beat West Virginia, Cincinnati, and again, it's probably going to come back to that UTSA game to get to five. So no interest in me on Houston. I just think you got to stay off this team. Iowa State, five and a half is the win total. Has taken some money to the under, uh, minus 125 to the under, Still 41 to win the conference. I think some of the money starting to come in, though, is questions about these lingering gambling suspensions for some of the players. Hunter Deckers has been mentioned. I've seen in the uh, social posts and all that about this, but there's been no word. Deckers wasn't at Big 12 Media Day, so that probably tells you all you need to know. I mean, there's been some hype around the recruit, J.J. Cole. Cole, he's a true freshman, though, so I don't know if you could expect him to take a big leap right now. The offense was pretty terrible across the board. They only averaged 20 points per game. They were bottom 15 in explosive play rate. They couldn't score when they got in close. This was, again, just one of the bottom of the barrel teams. They promote uh, Shieldhouse. It's going to be his first time calling plays. You look across the board, though, outside the top 100, pretty much everything. Couldn't run the ball. No explosive plays. We're 127th in line yards. I just think this Iowa State offense likely – not going anywhere. You lose Xavier Hutchinson, who had 107 catches. If Deckers is going to be out too, that really puts them in a tough spot. The defense really kept them in games though last year. Top 10 in yards per play, only allowed about 20 points per game, so kept them around neutral. Got off the field on third down, allowed less than 30% conversion rate. 
And it was that typical 3-3-5. Didn't get in the backfield, only 18 sacks, but allowed 3.2 yards per carry. And they had the best explosive rush D in the entire country. So this was a bang-up unit yet again. But around 50% returning production, and they lose a NFL player in McDonald. So there's going to be some questions here for Iowa State's defense. Matt Campbell's been able to coach this team up in the past and have them, whether it's play to expectation considering who they're recruiting against in the Big 12. Five and a half seems pretty fair. If you want to go under, I wouldn't talk you out of it because of all the concerns with suspensions. I come out at like 5.1, so I don't really see much of an edge here. The schedule, it's it's kind of weird. A lot of back-and-forth travel games. They don't play after week two consecutive home or road games, so it's a lot of getting on a plane, getting off a plane, they host Iowa in week two, and they go to Ohio, which can end up being a first-year game than they probably than Iowa State probably wants it to be. But you know, you're at Oklahoma, you're at Cincinnati, you're at Baylor, you're at BYU, you're at Kansas State. Being at Cincinnati and at BYU, that kind of hurts a team that is trying to play up and get into bowl eligibility again. It's probably under a pass for me on Iowa State. No real opinion there. Kansas win total of six. Shaded towards the over, I had it at. Again, this number's kind of all over the place, so make sure you shop around. They're 48-1 to to win the Big 12. They bring back, and we discussed this with Thor, but they bring back the most returning production in the entire country on offense, headlined by Jalen Daniels. uh, And being behind him is something to know, too, because the offense actually kept up without him. Neil Arnold are back on offense. This offense was electric. They were third in EPA per play last year, and they bring back everyone. So, you know, Thor mentioned it. I agree with that sentiment. It's going to be hard for this offense not to be as efficient again. Okay, maybe it's not the third best in the country with a difficult schedule, but this offense should be bang up yet again. Four offensive linemen are back. Logan Brown transferred in from Wisconsin. He was a five-star recruit. Offensive coordinator's back. I just think... No reason why this team shouldn't be as dynamic on offense. The issue is the defense is so bad, and it's likely going to be terrible again. They had one win in which they didn't score 35 or more, so they really need to put up points to win. And loss of the team allowed 35 or more, so that's kind of the key number there. It's just not a brand of football you want to play a ton, especially after such a dream season. Jerome Robinson's back after eight and a half tackles for lost. The secondary was a... I'd say the better part of the team, they did force a lot of turnovers, 20 last year, 31st in the country. But down to down, this team was abysmal on the defensive side of the ball, pulling it up. They were they allowed over three points per drive. They were outside the top 100 in yards per play, and they were 115th in success rate. So they turnovers really shielded what was a really terrible defense because they, I mean, it, they were bad anyway, but they probably should have been worse if it wasn't for generating a lot of turnovers. Kobe Brown, like Thor said, a little Mamba, first team all Big 12 corner. He's probably their best guy on defense. We'll see if he can maybe rise the tides there on defense, but I just it's probably going to be a defense flirting with, you know, a 100th outside the top 100th. Tough to get too pumped about that, but the offense gives them a solid floor. Looking at the schedule, I like Kansas in that game against Illinois, and that might determine the win total. At Nevada should be a win, so there's three right there. Then they host BYU, and I meant I forgot to mention they host FCS Missouri State, who they're going to just dump truck. So if they could beat Illinois and BYU at home, you're looking at 4-0 and going into the Texas game. They host UCF. That will be an interesting game. And then at Oklahoma State. So looking at your bye, you could start 4-0, and then lose three straight, and all of a sudden you're 4-3. and 
the back half of the schedule, Oklahoma at home, going to be a dog there. At Iowa State, short spread. Home Texas Tech, short spread. Home Kansas State, short spread. At Cincinnati, short spread. So a lot of coin flips here to get over the win total. I would try and shop around, and if you want to buy this team again, maybe it's look for a reasonably priced five and a half, an off-market five and a half. I just think it lands six a lot. I, I'm a little over that, but I also know that there's a lot of coin flips here. And after such a dream season, I'm not rushing to back this team. So to me, no touch, no touch on Kansas. This offense is likely going to be dynamic again. Maybe I'll be looking at back them as an underdog because I do. Try, it's a proven commodity on offense, but the defense likely keeps me up off of them when talking big picture. Kansas State, seven and a half. Minus 180 to the over, or you could find an eight and a half plus 140 to the over. They're, these numbers are all over the place. They're five to one to win the Big 12. And while they're replacing Deuce Vaughn, who my boy, who's running around NFL training camps right now, looking like a toddler, and Adrian Martinez, who ran the offense really well, but wasn't overly explosive. I think Will Howard probably is a higher ceiling. Uh, he played plenty last year because Martinez kept getting hurt. I don't see that big of a drop-off. Will Howard was pretty damn good when he came in last year. You want to talk about uh, this was a guy who was 0.33 EPA per play, top 10 in the entire country, uh, threw for 15 touchdowns, over 1,500 yards, completed 60% of passes, and he was able to run a little bit, uh, 0.08 EPA per rush. That includes with sacks and stuff. So this was an offense that was, you know, when he came in and over the balance of the year, they were, you know, around top 50 in EPA per play. So Howard kept this team afloat and there's a lot of optimism for this offense. Offensive line brings everybody back and they were top 30 in line yards and only allowed 19 sacks. You look at, you know, Treshawn Ward coming in from Florida state. He averaged over six yards per carry on nearly a hundred carries receivers. Definitely a little bit more questions here. Hit the portal. They got Keegan Johnson from Iowa. Sano is a junior tight end who had nearly 500 yards receiving. They lose Knowles, who was really their vertical threat. But with Colin Klein back and so much back on the offense, I just I give him the benefit of the doubt. I think that this offense is going to be pretty good. The defense, as Thor noted, is pretty gashed. Less than 50% returning production. They lose, I'm going to struggle with the name, but in Duke Ozama, they were elite last year, top 13 success rate, and ninth in turnovers gained. They generate a ton of havoc. I think Green, who comes back, he was a near pro at linebacker. He decided to return. He had over 200 tackles in his career. Austin Moore was also damn good. He had 87 tackles. So I think that the back seven linebackers, they're going to be good. But the secondary and up front are going to be a little bit of a question mark. Secondary loses both starting corners. They're going to be counting on someone like Marquise Sigley from North Dakota State to really pick up the slack. The defensive line is going to be undersized here. And that's the big concern. In my opinion, talk about a guy like Khalid Davis moving from linebacker to defensive end. He only weighs about 250 pounds. That's a big concern when talking about Kansas state, can they get a pass rush yet again? Because Kansas state last year, you know, they were able to get pressure on the quarterback. They didn't get a ton of sacks. They were top 50 in sacks, but it wasn't like an overly aggressive unit, but this is one that prided themselves on getting in the backfield, causing a little bit of pressure, you know, didn't allow a ton of yards downfield. You know, the secondary really stepped up. If there's more time for the quarterback, can their secondary be a little bit more vulnerable, especially with their lack of uh, returning production in the secondary? So we'll see how it goes. The schedule, I know like 
the win total has been taking a lot of money towards the under. They get Troy at home. That could be a little bit tricky, but they sh- they're going to be big favorites there. At Missouri, maybe that's where they get slipped up, but I like them in that game. They host UCF, and that's an early buy. Off the buy, they go at Oklahoma State, at Texas, TCU, at home. That's tricky. They do go to Texas. They host Baylor. They're at Kansas State. I think it comes up eight a lot. I'm not willing to play this. I, I've i been mulling over playing them to win the conference because I just think that there's so much back on offense, even without their week one starting quarterback last year and Deuce Vaughn. They still rate as like just a damn good team, in my opinion. You know, I project them for 8.2. Probably not enough to play this win total over. Maybe it's play the future and take them to win the conference. But we'll we'll see. I... I still feel myself being a Kansas State believer as the season goes on, though. The team that's the second choice is next up. It's Oklahoma, nine and a half. Slightly towards the under, I have like about even money to the over, plus 120 to the under, plus 380 to win the conference. The offense was damn good with Dylan Gabriel on the field. But again, there's not a lot here in the passing game to trust them to be one of the best in the Big 12. Farouk, he was their best receiver last year, third on the team in receiving yards. Some portal guys come in, like Brennan Thompson from Texas, Andre Anthony from Michigan, but that's like a not – that's not what you're hoping for when you have an Oklahoma offense that's been top five, top ten under Lincoln Riley. There's still a big drop-off. Javante Barnes at running back. He rushed for 500 yards, a freshman. Offensive line was meh for an Oklahoma team that, you know, under Bendenaugh has always been good. Out to the top 50 in sacks. Offense – really was chucking the ball down the field and Gabriel didn't have a lot of time. So maybe that affected the overall efficiency team only brings back two starters, but they pick up a Stanford transfer and Roos, but he missed spring practice. So we'll see. They also bring up Everin from Appalachian state team ranked top 10 in transfer portal rating per 24 seven. So maybe this offense takes a step forward. Jaden Gibson, someone to watch on the outside. I think that, you know, there's still some questions here. And as we discussed with Thor, this schedule gives them an absolute runway to take off. They're going to be favored in every game but the Texas game. So I can't really fade them, but I'm just not rushing to, you know, take any futures on them, take the overwind total. They definitely should go over, uh, but I just – something off here. I, I can't get myself to bet it. I, for what it's worth, I project 10.1 wins, so I guess I should be taking the over, but I'm staying off them. Didn't mention the defense. Like I said, got on the backfield a ton. They got 98 tackles for loss. was top five in the country. But when teams got in close, allowed 67% touchdowns inside the red zone. It was kind of turnover or bust. They were 20th in havoc rate, but 82nd in success rate. So they weren't getting the backfield. They weren't generating turnovers. They were letting teams stay ahead of schedule. They bring back Danny Stutzman, who had 125 tackles, and McCullough, who was a freshman All-American at Indiana. Mason Thompson, he's one to watch on the line. He bulked up. He was a former four-star. I just, again, there's question marks here. Maybe it was the year one under a complex, venable scheme, and maybe they do take a jump forward and they do win the Big 12. I just kind of want to see it more before I start backing them. Like I said, though, schedule going to be a cakewalk. Non-con is Arkansas State, SMU at home, and then at Tulsa. Their road games at Cincinnati, at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, at BYU. Probably going to be favored in every single game there. Home games, Iowa State, UCF, West Va, and TCU. Going to be favorites in every one of them. And then neutral Texas. Again, even if you don't give them Texas, 
even if you say they lose, let's say like in Bedlam at Oklahoma State, it would be kind of a disaster if they lose another game. And like Thor said, maybe Venables does have to be fired. Next up, Oklahoma State. Thor's pretty bullish on this team. I see a lot of positive sentiment around the Pokes this year. I I think there's way too many questions, in my opinion, to really get behind them. I will note the schedule kept me off from playing the under. Alan Bowman's in. He started at Texas Tech two years ago, goes to Michigan, does nothing. He was a little banged up, but he wasn't going to play anyway. Um, now he's here. Um, it's an interesting move. We'll see how it goes. Presley's back at wide receiver, and then they got Shribling from Wazoo and Bruce from Iowa. Offensive line returns three starters, and they got a four-star transfer from Texas State and Dylan Cooper. There's a lot of transfers coming in here, and I really think it has to start with the offensive line taking a step forward. They were a huge issue. They got Spencer Sanders crushed last year, and when he got hurt, the offense fell off a cliff. This is a team that's like top five in the country at one point. Outside the top 100 in tackles for loss, 96 in third down conversion percentage, outside top 100 in line yards, couldn't run the ball whatsoever. So this team needs to find a way to stay ahead of schedule. Maybe some new faces could click here. Defense, uh, Derek Mason was fired at defensive coordinator. Gundy went completely off the grid, hired Brian Nardo from Gannon University, a D2 school, hit the portal even harder on this side of the ball. It fell off last year, but the pass rush was still top 20 in tackles for loss. They lose their top two defensive tackles, but we'll see if, you know, Colin Clay, Xavier Ross, those are names to watch. And Colin Oliver at edge, he had 16 and a half sacks over the last two seasons. Five defensive backs are back. Uh, Kendall Daniels, big 12 freshman of the year and a freshman All-American at safety. Someone to watch there. Overall, the defense got cooked over the top, big plays left and right, but down to down top 13 success rate kind of helped them early in the year. But again, it fell off as the year fell went on. But again, losing Jim Knowles in that dream year where they were in the big 12 championship game, that was one of the best defense in the country. So a natural step back. I think if the transfers connect, you could look at a similar number here. Again, the schedule does give them an opportunity to, you know, win seven games, maybe, you know, some higher ceiling outcomes, central Arkansas at home at Arizona state going to be favored South Alabama at home will be, you know, considerable favorites at Iowa state short spread game, probably favored then early by Kansas state and Kansas come. They're both at home at West Virginia, Cincinnati, Oklahoma, both at home at UCF and at Houston back-to-back weeks and then home for BYU. So your toughest games are coming at home with Kansas state and Oklahoma. You avoid Baylor on the schedule. You avoid TCU, you avoid Texas. So maybe it is a runway, but I just question the overall effectiveness and can they take care of business at Iowa state at West Virginia at UCF? It's definitely the softer schedule of most of the big 12 teams, but I just can't get there to bet it. TCU win total Seven and a half shaded towards the over at minus 130, 21 to one to win the conference. And while there's a lot of changing pieces here, I still like what Sonny Dykes is doing here, really crushing the portal, bringing Kendall Bryles to take over for Garrett Riley, who is now at Clemson. But Chandler Morris is starting quarterback. He won the job over Max Duggan last year before he got hurt in the Colorado game. And that was kind of the, the rest is history. Um, they do lose a ton. I will note that. Top two rushers are gone, top three receivers, and several offensive linemen. But I will say they did emerge with top 20 recruiting class. 
They got a former five-star Bama running back and Trey Sanders. Savion Williams is back. Wiley's back at tight end. Uh, J.P. Richardson transferred in from Oklahoma State at wide receiver. Earl's in from Alabama. Beck is in from LSU. So there's a lot of talent coming in still. I think that this offense, listen, it's not going to be operating at the same efficiency as it did last year, but high-level Big 12 offense, absolutely. Defense wasn't that great last year. It was obviously much better than it was two years prior, and I love the defensive coordinator and Joe Gillespie. But overall, it graded out as an above-average defense nationally. Top 40 in success rate, 56 in yards per play. Explosive pass rate allowed at a bottom 10 rate. So 71% comes back for Gillespie. So I lean towards the defense probably trending upward. Hodges back at linebacker. As Hodges, they were both the top two tacklers. But Clark was, you know, he blew up in the Fiesta Bowl. He's back in the secondary. I just think this defense is going to take a step forward. Um, Dominic Williams is another one on the defensive uh, defensive line that should look damn good as well. The issue is the schedule is pretty brutal in my opinion. Non-con, they should navigate pretty well, but they do have to go to Kansas State and to Texas. Texas and Oklahoma, I should say. So there's three road games you're looking at being underdogs, most likely, or short spread. And Texas and Baylor also come to TCU. So there's five tight games right there. It just it makes me a little nervous after such a dream year. I do lean towards the over. I make it right around seven and a half. 7.7 is my exact number. It just, it feels like maybe this is a step back year where they lose maybe a game that they won last year. They do open with eight straight games. I just, I'm not rushing to bet this team, but I still think game to game, I'm going to be on TCU. Texas, win total is nine and a half, minus 140 to the over, plus 105. I mean, they are clearly the best team in the Big 12. I don't think I'm breaking any news to anyone. But, again, I'm a little skeptical that the schedule is such a cakewalk that this team is going to overwhelm people. I think Sark still has to answer some questions. I think Quinn Ewers still has to answer some questions. They do – I mean, listen, if this team isn't a top-10 offense in the country, something isn't right there. They were top-20 last year, bring back 70% returning production. They were 16th in success rate, 20th um, in points per drive. Averaged uh, nearly three points per drive. And the entire offensive line is going to be back. While they lose Bijan running back, I mean, there's still loaded guys here. Jonathan Brooks got some time last year. Keelan Robinson uh, is a Bammer transfer who should probably get some time. And they also got Braxton, who was the number one recruit in the 2023 class. So there's a lot back here for Quinn Ewers to work with. But can he find his downfield accuracy? Because that's what killed him last year. Out of the top 100 in explosive pass rate, Xavier Worthy's back. Whittington's back. A.D. Mitchell's in from Georgia. There's stud freshman receivers in like Cook, Moore, Niblet. Uh, Sanders is back as a Big 12, all, uh, all Big 12 tight end. So this team, Quinn Ewers, there's no excuse why you shouldn't be in the Heisman conversation. I'm not betting it because I'm a little nervous of that at Alabama game, maybe knocking him off the Heisman path early in the season. But this offense, this is the year for Sark that he's got to make good on this. And Quinn Ewers, he's got to answer some questions. Because last year, he kind of went missing in action a little too much, especially on that deep ball. I just, I, I didn't see what you would hope from, you know, hopeful first round pick Heisman contender last year. That was last year. Maybe he changes it this year. The defense was very good last year. Uh, they put teams behind the sticks off in top 30 in success rate and allowed less than two points per drive. That was 15th in the country. 
team played a little soft on in the secondary, allowed completions. They allowed the ball through the air, and they weren't aggressive enough. Outside the top 100 in turnovers gained. I'd love to see the defense really flip it a notch because they had some big boys on this defense that could get into the backfield and create some havoc. Ford, he had 119 tackles at middle linebacker and four interceptions. He's back in the middle. Catalan transfers from Arkansas. I think that Watts at corner, he's a senior, and they also got Holmes in from Wake Forest. I'd say there's less here on offense to be elite, but, I mean, Anthony Hill from the portal, he's a top linebacker. Or Anthony Hill, as a recruit, is in. He's probably going to see time right away as a true freshman. I think, you know, this defense, again, probably should be top three in the Big 12, if not higher. Maybe I'm selling them short. There's no reason, again, on paper, Texas is the best team. You look at the schedule, at Alabama, the non-con, that's going to obviously be a test. They're going to be underdogs in that game. They go to Baylor in week four. They get Oklahoma on the neutral. They host Kansas State, and then the following week go to TCU, and they host Texas Tech. Listen, the market is going to favor Texas a huge amount in these games, and you know all year this team is going to be trending towards should be college football playoff Ask. I mean, last year, the market went nuts on this team, even though they were winning, they were losing games and the market still rated them as like a top five team. I just, I'm slow on my roll here. I'm not going to have any preseason exposure to Texas. Maybe I'm going to look dumb. Like I still bet them game to game. I just, you're, you're paying a big price. And I just think the schedule isn't as cakewalky as I would like. Just, I, I'm not on Texas right now. I think Ewers still just has to sell me. I I don't know. Sark as well. His game management, his second half execution really throws me off. Uh, maybe it's a gut feel thing. I just, I want to see it. And we'll see in that Bama game week two, they go out and they beat Bama who has, you know, go listen to the SEC pod. I have my own question about Alabama. Maybe they come out and they light, they light them up. And Quinn Ewers is the front runner for the Heisman most of the season. We'll see how it goes. I just, I'm going to be in wait and see mode for Texas, especially at these numbers. Texas Tech win total, seven and a half. And I think the the hype around this team has been a little overstated. And listen, I love Zach Kitley's offense, comes from Western Kentucky, Bailey Zappi, all that. It was great. But this team, while the points per game total looks nice and it looks like this offense was really a monster, it kind of wasn't. And... Down to down, this team didn't really check out. And granted, they had some injuries at quarterback. They started three different quarterbacks during the season. But, I mean, you look, yards per play, they were 83rd in yards per play. They were 72nd in success rate. They were 119th in tackles for a loss allowed and converted 36% of their third downs. That was 95th in the entire country. Where the team did do well and why I'm bullish on this team in the long term is that they went for it the most times of any team in the entire country. Coach McGuire put them in a really good position to win ball games, And honestly, they cashed in at a crazy rate inside the red zone. They scored on 70% inside the red zone. They scored touchdowns, 23rd in the entire country. So by being timely and winning the variance battle, that did Texas Tech a lot of wonders in their games last season. You look at the offense this season, they're going to bring a lot of guys back, and they did really get arguably the best transfer portal offensive lineman and rusty stats from Western Kentucky. They bring back four starters there and they have their leading rusher back in Brooks and two of their three leading receivers as well as Tyler Shook. So I see why the hype is here. I just think when you go 4-0 in one score games and you are playing so well inside the red zone that maximizes and kind of covers the issues with the team, it makes me a little nervous now going 
to back them to win eight games as opposed to be bowl eligible like they were last year. You look at the defense, similar to the offense, honestly. this They allowed touchdowns on 43% of red zone possessions. That was the eighth lowest mark in the entire country. I know they got in the backfield a lot, but they also lost a top 10 pick in Tyree Wilson. They got into the backfield at a top 20 rate. They were they had 83 tackles for loss. That was the 20 highest mark in the entire country. They were 25th in line yards as well. But they also got gashed over the top, outside the top 100, an explosive pass and rush rate. So this Red Raiders defense buckled down nicely inside the red zone, but they got the top taken off of them a ton. And again, 87th in yards per play. I just think you look at this team, they really they won a lot of coin flips. They went 4-0 in one-score games. And they have experience, but I just think the schedule does not do them any favors. They start with one of the weirdest week one spots of the entire season at Wyoming in week one, which is bizarre. And then you host Oregon in one of the biggest games of the season in week two. And then their big 12 schedule, they don't avoid any of the top teams, or they avoid Oklahoma, I'm sorry, but they host Kansas State and TCU. They play at Baylor. They play at Texas. They host UCF. Uh, it is not easy, not to mention their eighth game in a row is at BYU, and it would be their fourth road game already that season. So it's not the easiest schedule, in my opinion, that I just think they could see some poor variants go against them. So I'm actually off Texas Tech. I bet their win total under. I just think there's too many things going against them. There's a team that has six road games. I just I, – I, I went under here. I feel pretty strongly that Texas Tech is kind of getting way too much uh, – helium in their stock before we uh, get to the season. Next up, UCF, six and a half, win totals juice to the moon at minus 175. They're 35 to one to win the conference. I mentioned with Thor that I bet them as a long shot team to go to the big, to win the big 12. And I think there's a lot to like here. This is a team that is obviously stepping up in class to the A from the AAC to the big 12, but there's a lot of power five transfers on this roster. And when you look at the offense last season, they were top 30 across the board, and you know John Reese Plumlee takes shots and he gets injured. But when he was right, this offense was legit. 27th in points per drive, 28th in yards per play, 18th in line yards, top 20 in success rate. This was a really strong offense. John Reese Plumlee, you kind of have to sign up for the roller coaster that he is where he's not that great of a downfield passer. But Gus Malzahn was saying – at Big 12 Media Day, new offensive coordinator Hinshaw. He wants to push the ball down the field, and we'll see. The running game is still going to be elite. Harvey had 800 yards rushing last season. Johnny Richardson's their home run threat. They got Javon Baker. He was a Bama transfer last year. He caught 56 passes and led the team in receiving yards. Hudson's also back. He had seven touchdown catches. They hit the portal hard, especially on the offensive line. Uh, a. Mark Knight, a former Bama recruit. Jake Metcalf from Stanford. This offense should remain elite. And there's no Mikey Keene behind JRP this season, but I think there's reason for this offense to hang even when jumping to the Big 12. The defense, Addison Williams takes over as a defensive coordinator for Travis Williams. He was the secondary coach last year. And this defense, again, got banged up towards the end of the season, but for AAC standards, pretty elite defense. They held up nicely, 32nd in defensive line yards, 50th in success rate. They were great at limiting explosive passes, 57th in explosive pass rate defense. They did allow explosive runs at a high clip. They definitely need to clear up the rushing defense. Allowed 4.5 yards per carry. That's 97th in the country and were 113th at defending explosive rushes. But I think that this UCF defense could still be 
league average, hit the portal pretty hard. Guy, uh, Fred Davis from Clemson, few group of five starters stepping in as well in the secondary in Jirai Wilson and D. Jordan Mask. Lee Hunter is the defensive tackle you want to watch. And while they lose Jeremiah John Baptiste, they do have Yates back for his final year of eligibility. And look at the schedule. Again, it's a long shot, so I'm fine being wrong here. But I think when you look at TCU schedule before the season last year, Kansas State schedule before the season last year, you had to you didn't think that Kansas State would go to Norman and beat Oklahoma. You didn't think TCU would win in Austin last year. Maybe this is setting up for UCF. I listen, they go to Kansas State in week four. They play at Oklahoma. Both teams are coming off a bye in that one. And they play at Texas Tech in week twelve. But a few you, you turn a few coin flips into wins there. You host Baylor. You host West Virginia. You host Oklahoma State. You host Houston. You're going to be favored in four of those. Can they win at Kansas? Can they win at Cincinnati? Get to six wins then. Maybe turn a few coin flips into wins where it's at Kansas State or it's at Oklahoma or at Texas Tech. You look at the Big 12 the past few years, and I know Texas is the heavy favorite and has the most talent on paper, but you've seen a lot of teams kind of come from left field to be in these Big 12 title games. Baylor, Oklahoma State two years ago. TCU, Kansas State two years ago. I, I think UCF has the upside. First of all, they're definitely of the AAC teams, the best, most equipped team to compete in the Big 12. But I just think with some of the transfers that have come into this team, this is a veteran unit. Gus Malzahn has coached at the Power 5 level before. Maybe you could shoot for kind of a higher higher tail outcome with UCF this season. Again, it's 35-1. to one. I don't want to play the win total, especially where it's at 6.5. Throwing that they play at Boise in week two. That's kind of a tricky matchup and tough travel spot. But I, I think there's cause for optimism if John Reese Plumley could really develop some downfield passing. He hasn't really shown it, but Gus Malzahn was talking a big game about it at Big 12 Media Day. Maybe that's what this UCF team needs to really push the ball and keep the run game open. If you want another reason to back UCF, maybe in that at Kansas State spot. Kansas State does play at Missouri the week before. Maybe gets caught slipping. A little bit there, but I just think UCF is a team that I could see the ceiling there. And at 35 to 1, I'm comfortable taking a shot. Getting to our last one, West Virginia. Win total four and a half, minus 140 to the over, plus 120 to the under, 70 to 1 to win the conference. JT Daniels didn't work here. Graham Harrell leaves for Purdue. Garrett Green likely gonna take over at quarterback. All five stars are back on the offensive line. Neil Brown, I believe, is gonna be calling plays again. Green showed some flashes as a dual-threat quarterback. You know, the offense wasn't that terrible, I will say. I mean, they didn't push the ball downfield at all, but the offensive line was pretty solid. Uh, they were top 50 in limiting sacks, and they were 52nd success rate, but they just couldn't get the ball down the field. They averaged only six yards per pass. That was 111th in the country and 107th in explosive pass rate. The defense is the real issue. Outside the top 100 yards per play, and they allowed over six yards per play. The secondary allowed more than eight yards per pass and allowed touchdowns on 67% of red zone possessions. Couldn't generate any turnovers. They allowed they generated only 10 last year. Not a lot back. So maybe Neil Brown just a dead man walking. Like Thor said, he should have been fired last year. I I kind of like the over. I mean, my number is 4.6, so like I'm kind of right at it. But I do kind of think that this team. If they had a new coach, I'd be much more interested. But, you know, we went through the schedule. It's going to be kind of brutal. I'm just, like, not interested in betting this team. So, West Virginia, probably just wait until Neil Brown gets fired and maybe the team takes a step forward with, a you know, a dead cat bounce. But we'll see.
I mean, you could talk yourself into a, a few wins. Duquesne is a gimme. They go to Houston and Westfall gets a bye before that. BYU is at home. Cincinnati is at home. If you take care of the AAC teams outside of UCF, that's four. You know, can you find one more win against Oklahoma State or, you know, Pitt or Texas Tech at home? Maybe. I don't know. Or at UCF. I don't know. I'm just not that interested in betting West Virginia given the coaching situation. So there's every team. Thank you all for sitting with me as I ramble. I hope it was at least you could listen to it and it wasn't that brutal. Best bets time. I bet UCF to win the conference at 35 to 1. That's available at FanDuel right now. I also bet Texas Tech under 7.5. That's available at Caesars at minus 125. And I also played BYU under five and a half. That's also that's available at DraftKings at minus 125. I played minus 115. Minus 125 is still good to me. And yeah, that's it. That's my big 12 bets. There's those three. I'll make sure to add those to the Google sheet. Once this pod goes live, our ninth season preview podcast, we have one more left, the Mac to round it all out before we start getting into some futures talk, big picture, national championship and stuff. And then our week zero pod. So Thank you all for this kind of different type of podcast. Really appreciate you all if you made it through this episode. Feedback on this episode, of course, appreciate My DMs are always open. This is how the best bets show is likely going to be. Hopefully, I won't ramble as much as I did in this one. Hopefully, it came out pretty good. But big shout out to Thor Nystrom. Like I said, you can follow his work at ThorKU. He does great work for betting pros and fantasy pros. Um, I appreciate him coming on early to talk about the Big 12. And big shout out to all of you who listen to this. Plenty of more content coming all season long. If you like this so far, go back and listen to the prior ones. We have more coming as we get closer to the season. Until then, enjoy the rest of the summer. It's almost time to bunker down and saddle off. College football is right around the corner. <laughs>